English breakfast show. It is Wellbeing Wednesday and really happy to see Gavin Sharp uh, back in our studio. Good morning, Gavin. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Sarah. How's it going, all right? It is going fine on what a beautiful sunny day. Since it's just been amazing weather. If I'm, if we haven't really had a winter, have we, to speak no, of? No, absolutely no. beautiful. Uh, now, uh, as I reminded our listeners earlier, in Greek mythology, Narcissus was the youth who fell in love with his own reflection in a pool and was condemned to stare at it every day for the rest of his life. Yeah. Mm. Not a fun way to go, is it? Well, it's necessary. It would be OK if you've got a chaise long and a, you know, a waiter to bring you nibbles and stuff. <laughs> but, it, but the mythology, that, that being obsessed with your image, which, of course, where the term comes from, that really captures this is what narcissists live with. It's all about the image. And I will do everything possible to deflect, as, and I'll go to any means I can to deflect attention away from the real me, because I only want you to focus on the image, and I only want to focus on the image. So if you remind me of my vulnerability, God help you when you do that to a narcissist. What's the difference between a narcissist and a sociopath? Uh, it's, it, it's a spectrum. Uh, and, there, the, you know, there is an overlap, and we'll talk about that, um, I, I hope, later. But I think uh, there, there is a great overlap. There is the sense of entitlement. There is a sense of grandiosity. Um, and, um, and they are very similar. So if you imagine there's a spectrum where you've kind of got, um, at one end, someone who's sort of, you know, a bit selfish and a bit sort of self-interested, that's a kind of personality style. And you go to the end of the spectrum, and that's a pathology, where you've got psychopaths and sociopaths who typically don't have any remorse, who can be quite chilling. And there's a certain type of narcissism, which we'll talk about, which is the malignant narcissist, which is very similar to being a sociopath. Because we uh, quite often think of psychopaths as being pretty dangerous people, don't we? Correct. So the psychopath has no remorse whatsoever, um, doesn't think about their actions, and, and that's your, you know, your psychopath is the sort of the, the cold-blooded murderer um, that is not going to have any remorse and has, you know, severe mental health problems. Your sociopath has a slightly better idea about what they're doing, um, and there is a slightly more sense of morality or empathy, but the psychopath has no conscience um, whatsoever. So the sociopath doesn't really care how you feel, um, but can actually form some emotional attachments, which almost make it more dangerous because you don't quite spot it. Mm. Aren't we all a bit, a bit narcissistic to some extent? Why are you looking at me funny? <laughs> yeah, so, so, totally. So there's, there is such a thing as healthy narcissism, and healthy narcissism is, is self-love. Um, and it's, I appreciate myself, and I like myself, um, and I enjoy getting validation. But when that becomes the overriding principle of my life, when actually the, the validation and the admiration is my oxygen, it's my resin d'etre, so I'm going to seek it out, and I will walk over anyone who gets in my way, or who um, is giving me a contrary view of myself, um, I have to have that validation. So for me, it actually stems from the lack of self-worth, meaning I'm going to great extremes to feel valued, to feel admired. Can you be in a relationship with a narcissist or know a narcissist without actually knowing they are one? 
Um, it's a great question. Uh, yes, I think you can, because I think one of the tragic skills of a narcissist is because the, the classic narcissist, which is the very grandiose narcissist, comes with an immense amount of charm and charisma. And so the narcissist, when you date a narcissist, there's a huge amount of love bombing. You know, there's this thing when, it, when you're dating a narcissist or when a narcissist wants something from you, it's like the sun is shining on you and you are the center of their universe. Um, so when you're in a relationship with a narcissist, you kind of remember those times. So you sort of think, well, it's not that bad or, and because of some of the tactics that a narcissist will deploy, the gaslighting, the invalidation, they will undermine you to such an extent that the person who's in a relationship with a narcissist often thinks, oh, I must be the problem. He's so good. He's done so many other great things and he'll change. It's a difficult time for him. He's under a lot of stress. Um, and I'm saying him because yes, you, I was going to say that. <laughs> you, you, you get more male narcissists than female narcissists, but you do get female narcissists. Um, so, yes, you can be in a relationship with a narcissist and not know. And by the time you do realize you are so deflated and hopeless and helpless, it is one of the most difficult situations to be able to climb out of. I can see a whole new Channel 4 series starting, Data Narcissist, reality <laughs> TV programme. <laughs> the problem is getting the narcissists to come forward. Oh. And, and I will tell you that some of my greatest failures in the therapy room has been working with a narcissist. Okay. Um, and they don't do well in therapy. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this. Uh, but, you know, you people don't pitch up in the therapy room and say, hi, I'm a narcissist <laughs> uh, and I've, I've got this puffed up sense of myself and, and I'm... Uh, you know, and I think I have all things out of it. They don't. So you discover it sometimes by accident, or they might come, but they will drop out of therapy. Narcissism and all that goes with it with Gavin Sharp from Riviera Wellbeing on Wellbeing Wednesday uh, after the nine o'clock news. It's 8.23. And now it's time for Woofer of the Week on 106.5 Riviera Radio. It's another exciting episode of Woofer of the Week with Dawn Howard. Hello, Dawn. Hello there, good morning. Uh, how excited are you on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, um, oh, probably about a 7. Excellent, because it is a very woofy Wednesday, so far away. <laughs> I will. Okay, so today we have got a two-month-old puppy, and she is called Pepite. And as you'll see in the photo, she's seriously cute. She has smooth black and white coat, and she will grow to become a 20-kilo adult dog. She's looking for a great forever home, uh, possibly in a family with existing pets so that she isn't alone too much. As with all puppies, she needs a family who are present and also who are willing to invest in her training. She gets on with other dogs. She gets on with cats and children. And if you'd like to know more about adopting her, then please email, and I'll have to spell this out, it's flayosk, F-L-A-Y-O-S-C, at la, L-A, hyphen spa.fr no, I can't think of anything else except what well, I was thinking uh, Jackie Wilson reads Pepites but that doesn't work does it? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a nice song though isn't it? It's going to have to be Donny Osman I'm afraid Why? What? Oh Poppy Love <laughs> Poppy Love of course silly me. Now the excitement factor's gone up to eight hasn't it? <laughs> It really hasn't. I wasn't a big fan. Oh, well, somebody not a million miles from here is, so <laughs> that'll do. Oh, OK. Thank you, Dawn. My pleasure. That was Woofer of the Week. 
For more details about this week's Woofer, go to the 106.5 Riviera Radio page on Facebook or our website at rivieraradio.mc. Woofer of the Week on 106.5 Woof Viera Radio. The Press Review is brought to you by BMW Cote d'Azur. Leaving the Partygate saga alone for a couple of minutes... Uh, the Guardian reports that Vladimir Putin has accused the US of ignoring Russia's security proposals in his first public comments on the growing crisis over Ukraine since December. During a press conference at the Kremlin, Putin told journalists he was unsatisfied with the United States' response to Russian demands that NATO remove troops and infrastructure from Eastern Europe and agreed never to accept Ukraine into the alliance. It's already clear that Russia's principal concerns were ignored, he said, after talks with the Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban. In emotional remarks, Putin also said the West was using Ukraine as a tool to hinder Russia and hypothesised that Ukraine's entrance into NATO could lead to a conflict over Crimea, the peninsula annexed by Russia in 2014. He said he was ready to continue negotiations with the West, which has said it is ready for dialogue that views Moscow's demands as a non-starter. In this morning's Figaro, they've reported on the care home crisis in France as the new CEO of the Orpia network of elderly care homes is accused of negligence. He says he welcomes the French government's investigations. His comments come after a meeting with the Minister in Charge of Elderly Policy. The French government will investigate the company's finances. It will also review all the nursing homes it runs around the country in the coming weeks. Orpia, a multinational company that runs nursing homes in over 20 countries, is accused of neglecting residents and rationing food and other items, allegations that the company denies. One of the consequences of the uh, standoff between Russia and the West over Ukraine is the future of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Uh, De Velt says the gas pipeline built to meet Germany's future power needs has caused controversy among its neighbours. The project is again facing calls to be shelved in the latest standoff between Russia and the West. In this morning's Parisian newspaper, a father and his daughter have been refused access to a Covid testing centre in Rennes. Uh, the incident occurred on Monday when uh, the 15-month-old daughter was not allowed in as she was not wearing a mask. BBC World Service News live from London is coming up next. The Full English Breakfast Show in association with Air France. The Press Review, brought to you by BMW, Mies Premium Motors, Bayern Avenue Cannes, BMW Store Monaco and JPV Fréjus. Boost your business with the electrified range by BMW. Find all the BMW business drive offers at your car dealer. Uh, very quick pop quiz this morning. Very, very quick pop quiz, if I can find it. Question number one. I think I made it quite easy. <laughs> I've lost it. She says that every day. Never had it. <laughs> no, where is it? Here it is. Here it is. Okay, I've got it under control now. Question number one. Born on this day in 1943, Peter Macbeth from the Foundations. Happy birthday. The Foundations had the 1967 UK numbers... One single with which song? Build Me Up, Buttercup. No. Baby, Now That I've Found You. Yes. Okay, I played that yesterday. Yeah. Question number two. On this day in 1974, The Carpenters started a four-week run at number one in the UK album chart uh, with the album Singles 1969-73 featuring 12 hits and which US number one track? Goodbye to Love. Solitaire. Uh, top of the world? Correct. Okay. And finally, on this day in 1980, the specials were at number one in the UK with which track? It was the shortest song to reach number one in the UK charts in the 1980s at just two minutes and four seconds long. Too much, too young. Correct. Well done. I told you it was easy. Well, I got, I got the first two wrong. No, you didn't. On the third attempt. 
Well, that's okay. Is that okay? I took your final answer. Oh, right, okay. okay. Who do you think you are, Chris Tarrant? <laughs> Riviera Radio. Business. Good morning. Good morning, Robert. How are we today? Fine, thank you. It's Mrs. Potts ironed your shirts. Everything ready for tomorrow? <laughs> shirts are starched and ready to go. You don't Tie make that is poor laid out iron your shirts, do you? I'm very good at ironing shirts, so You actually, do do it yourself. I'm, I'm very glad I to hear it. I do it myself, yes. What about those ar- good. iron-free shirts you can get? Nah, not for me, thank you. You need a good heavy starch on your shirts. Nice and smart to set you up for the day. Right, so it's off to Canary Wharf. <laughs> I will be there tomorrow. Will they recognise you? You're excited about that, aren't you? Not particularly, Been waiting no. for this for some time. Well, you know, it's about time you did something, isn't it, really? Well, I've been doing a lot of things, even at home. But uh, I think a nice balance between uh, working from home, working from Canary Wharf, uh, spending time with colleagues is always uh, very important and looking forward to it. Uh, well, you're not going back full time then? A uh, hybrid model. Hybrids, okay. Yeah. Mm. Try and be nice to staff this Like time. you. Yeah. For example, you spend three hours in work and then you spend the rest of the time at home, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So a hybrid model. That's me, that's there me. There you go. Uh, now, I don't know what all this fuss about the markets was. It's all looking pretty healthy again at the moment. Well, after a rough ride in January, markets did start the new month a little bit on a brighter note as supportive economic data, solid corporate results helped to boost investor sentiment. Stock 600 in Europe closed up 1.3%, hitting its highest level since January the 20th, I think. Energy and banks very much leading the way. UBS shares up 8% yesterday after beating analyst earnings forecasts and promising an aggressive share buyback program. Over on Wall Street, data showed manufacturing was was resilient and uh, job openings increased. US stocks gained, uh, posting their best three-day rally since 2020. Tech stocks reported strong earnings. S&P 500 closed up 7 tenths 1%. NASDAQ was up 0.75%. That should set us up for a better start on the European bourses this morning. Currently calling the FTSE up 58 points. DAX over in Frankfurt up 114 points. CAC in Paris up 51 points. Oh, well, that steadied your nerves. I mean, because at the start of the year, let's face it, you were having a bit of a crisis. You know, oh, no, stocks are falling. You know, I had to talk you down from the window ledge. You were, you were. You get very panicky. Slight bit of volatility in some of those banking shares that you earn. And you were on the phone to me complaining, worrying. Should I dump all my investments? What should I? do Mr. Potts I need it you know so I did, you know you got to hold steady that's uh, that is the price you pay for equity market returns is the volatility of yeah, course well you know I didn't call you Mr. Potts and what I did call you can't be repeated on the radio uh, eurozone uh, unemployment is falling that's uh, good news for Emmanuel Macron well he hasn't d- officially declared that he's seeking re-election but um, it's 99.9% sure that he is looks that way and we'll be watching these numbers carefully. Eurozone unemployment hit a record low in January or Euro era low is probably a better way to describe it. The number of people without jobs fell to 7% from a revised 7.1% in November but compares to 8.2% in December 2020. Regionally German unemployment down at the bottom there 3.2%. France came in at 7.4%. Italy 9% and Spain 13%. The data showed I think business confidence remains high and companies have continued to hire 
despite the Omicron disruption. Youth unemployment has also dramatically improved over the course of the past few quarters, suggesting there are few signs of that long-term economic scarring that was once feared. What uh, kind of problems do you think the French economy is going to be facing going forward uh, this year? Because, I mean, we just had a shocking report about the number of homeless people there are in France. And, of course, it's well known that the inner city and high-rise areas are really run down and dilapidated, where youth unemployment is spiralling. Yeah, youth unemployment has posed a problem. Uh, inequality continues to be an issue in Europe, as you see elsewhere in the world, and has probably been exacerbated during the course of the pandemic coming through. Also, it's about modernising the economy as well and uh, dealing with the infrastructure, putting that into better shape. Facing up to the green agenda, of course, will be incredibly important for France as it is for other European countries. Um, so dealing with some of those issues will be at the forefront, one would suspect, as we go through the, uh, the election over the course or the, the build up to the election over the course of the next few months. Well, of course, the French government, along with many others, has spent uh, sort of lots and lots of money propping the economy up uh, through the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, the end result is going to have to be tax rises at some point, isn't it? Well, you see that in other regions, of course, as well. So the reality of the bill that will eventually um, come to the fore as a result of the pandemic, you say an incredible amount of support was put in place to maintain jobs to maintain the economy and subsidise uh, the pandemic effort and that will need to be paid for and higher taxes is certainly on the cards as uh, countries try to put their nation's finances back onto a sustainable path. How quickly you do that of course remains a little bit debatable. In Europe you'll also see the benefits of that European recovery fund playing, paying out and disbursements from that will help to alleviate some of those immediate pressures and allow some of those structural changes to take place. Text finished, you said, no, get your style, you get your money out of tech, put it into the I bank. Didn't say put it that. into the bank. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, did not say that. <laughs> Alphabet pops up with uh, some pretty good results. You were saying to me, oh, I don't know about the internet, I'm not sure what it's all about, I can't follow these texts. I don't know about the internet, I don't know how to on. use it. Uh, Google parent Alphabet reported fourth quarter results with both profit and revenue smashing Wall Street's estimates driven by an increase in ad spending and cloud revenue. Profit came in at $20.64 billion, a jump from last year's profit of $15 billion. Revenue surged 32%. Ad revenue up nicely, came in at $61 billion. That was compared to $42 billion last year. YouTube and Google search sales increasing very nicely there. A pickup in hardware and devices as well, performing a little bit better, selling more of their Pixel phones. Alphabet, this is what excited the markets. Alphabet announcing a 20 for 1 stock split, reducing the price, of course, of each share, making it more accessible. If you look at Alphabet shares, they're trading around $3,000 each. So if you... Uh, if you make it cheaper by increasing the number of shares, then perhaps you can broaden the investor base. Shares up more than 9% in after-hours trading. And uh, no doubt one of the first things you'll do when you're sitting behind your oversized desk in Canary Wharf is send out for a Starbucks. Milk and sugar, <laughs> Mr Potts. You have such an outdated view of the modern working environment. It's scary, to be honest with you. Starbucks said uh, rising, rate, rising costs of supplies and wages will continue to weigh on profitability in the months ahead. 
Coffee chains said holiday sales helped to boost its business in the fourth quarter, though higher than expected inflation, the tighter labour market and cost increases driven by the COVID Omicron variant limited results. Starbucks has been forced to sell food only in form of uh, takeouts, uh, closed dining rooms in certain areas and uh, shorter hours during the course of the variant surge. So a bit of a mixed performance as a result. US not doing badly at all. In fact, same store sales are up 18%. But in China, which should remember is Starbucks' second largest market, they've got 5,500 coffee shops there. Like for like sales fell 14% as the country continues with its zero COVID strategy. Price increases in the US did help to offset some of those increasing costs that we have been seeing. In terms of the outlook, they've reduced their forecast for earnings and margins as a result of those increases in cost filtering through. Foreign exchanges, please. Pound against dollar coming in at 135 this morning. Euro dollar 112 and a half. Going to get one euro and 20 cents for your mighty British pound this morning. Yeah, there you are. We got through a whole episode without mentioning Boris Johnson. <laughs> yeah, it just shows you, doesn't it? It's, uh, we'll continue to bubble away. Did you see the US uh, press conference yesterday? I thought that was some nice little moment there where the president's press secretary was asked if the president has ever been ambushed by a case. Oh, yes. I, a, I didn't a, see it. It's a nice <laughs> moment. Mm. Yes. She's laughing away quite nicely. So right. it just shows you it's playing out on the international stage. Thank you very much. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a good day. Hang pots and Barclays. Is a narcissist's heart made of stone? These and other questions will be answered uh, in our regular uh, Wellbeing Wednesday, uh, every first Wednesday of the month. Good morning, Michael. <laughs> you know how to hurt a narcissist, don't you? <laughs> I was having a senior moment yesterday. I'm sorry about that. You are forgiven. Good. Uh, we've already outlined uh, what you'll be talking about in more depth, uh, but uh, for anyone who wasn't listening in the last hour, what is a narcissist? So that's a question where we, we could be here for the whole hour because there isn't a universal definition. And even amongst therapists, we don't we don't um, we don't agree. Um, but broadly speaking, it is a it's a personality style. And there are certain characteristics that we can look at and say, if this person demonstrates those behaviors and thought processes, um, this is someone who might be narcissistic. So someone who's got an overinflated um, sense of self-importance, someone who is craving admiration, um, someone who's prepared to take advantage of others. Um, entitlement is, is a huge central part of, um, uh, of, of narcissistic personality. There's a lack of empathy, um, someone who's very controlling. So that's what we tend to think of and actually, and I'll try not to be all day talking about the definition, but actually there's five types of narcissists. So we have the grandiose type, which is the charming, successful, um, the rules don't apply to me kind of mentality. Um, so these people are intoxicating, they draw you in, and very much this feeling of I'm special, I'm superior, look at my money, look at my possessions. Then we get the malignant narcissist. And, you know, you were asking me before the break about um, psychopaths. So the malignant narcissist is much more dangerous. And this is, you know, you don't want to cross someone who is so exploitative and so manipulative. Because if you cross them, 
they're going to throw a million lawsuits at you. They're going to take revenge. So this is the, the malignant narcissist goes around the world with this paranoia that everyone's out to get me. Then you get what we call the covert vulnerable narcissist. There's less of a facade. They're less attention grabbing. But there is this sense that the world hasn't noticed me. And, and why haven't I got the Nobel Peace Prize? And that comes with this sort of contempt and passive aggressiveness. And the last two, there's the communal narcissist. So this is the narcissist that looks, is the pillar of the community. Have you seen, I've, I've, I've just set up a new orphanage in Africa, and have you seen what a wonderful, all the, my charity work? And that's true, but the intention is because I want you to notice me. It's nothing to do with caring about the kids in Africa. And then the final one, we talk about the kind of the benign narcissist, which is the sort of the more of the joker, the attention-seeking fool. And they're still obsessed with social media, with what other people think of them. But essentially, there's no emotional depth to the person. So long with an answer to your question, but it's all of those different types of characteristics and they show up in different ways. Dear Mr. Sharp, Johnny will be unable to do PE today as he's suffering from malignant narcissism. <laughs> yeah, um, that's and, and the thing about we don't notice it, you know, we just we don't always see in certain types of the narcissism. Um, you know, you and I were just talking before. I, not many people are going to write in today to say, can you help me? I'm a malignant narcissist. So it shows up in sometimes very subtle ways um, and sometimes less subtle. Mm. Uh, just before we go any further, are you copying me? Because I said uh, on the radio the other week that we got a new sofa, and I just see here that uh, you've got a new sofa as well, so... <laughs> Where'd you get it? Fabulous new sofa. Mm -hmm. No. Are you talking about my the changes at... Um, the changes of the, yes, including the new well sofa. Being. Is no. it a leather sofa? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't have a new sofa. I have two new therapists who have joined the team. Is that what you're alluding to? We just said, have you, uh, I've got a new sofa for clients to lie on. <laughs> I think I was teasing you. I have, oh, I, okay. I have two, two new therapists have joined the team. And uh, I can't, how on earth have we gone from, from narcissism to my sofa? Well, you made a big point of mentioning it on, your, on, your, on my crib <laughs> sheet. On my notes to you. Have you got a sofa at all? No. Would you like to buy one? No. I've got <laughs> No, no, I've, I've, got, I've got lovely comfortable armchairs. Ah, they're leather. They're, they're not. They're oh, cloth. They're, I'm but, not coming uh, then. <laughs> God, I'm with yeah. two narcissists, aren't I? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Must be a joke in there. Two narcissists in a pub. <laughs> Who's round is it? <laughs> Yours. <laughs> Yours, yeah. All right. Well, uh, shall we get on to a question? Uh, and I knew this one would come up, and it was the first one that came in yesterday, actually. Uh, Mike would like to know, is Boris Johnson a narcissist, a sociopath, or a psychopath, or all three? <laughs> Well, before I comment, I always, um, you know, whenever I get asked about celebrities, I'll always just say, uh, I can't diagnose, um, and they're not a client. Um, however, um, there is certainly something which has this kind of narcissistic flavour to Boris Johnson. And um, so there is this, you know, I just said before, the rules don't apply to me. And so, you know, this is not about, I'm not making any political points, I'm just talking about the, the, the persona. And so one of the things that if you challenge a narcissist, that narcissist they will do is they will blame everyone but themselves. So for me, there was something interesting in, you know, these statements that, you know, and I'm, I'm losing track of which ones, but 
these statements that he was making in Parliament, which was about, yes, something did go wrong. I was badly advised and I need to do a kind of reshuffle here. And I didn't know the rules. And rather than this sense of um, I messed up. So some narcissists are psychopaths and some narcissists are sociopaths. So again, we were talking before, psychopath has got no conscience, no morality. They pretend to care and they'll have this kind of normal life that covers their criminal activity. The sociopath kind of has a sense of morality. They just ignore it. Um, but they'll fly off the handle when you challenge them. So I think when you look at Boris Johnson and you look at things, for example, in his childhood about things that, that, as I understand it, you know, his father was fiercely competitive with him. Everything was about winning. Um, his mother was absent for periods of his childhood because she was in a psychiatric ward. So you, you can see how possibly what got set up was through the neglect, this this need to be noticed, this need to be special. Um, so I can't tell you categorically yes or no, but there are certainly behaviours where you think, yeah, this 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 looks quite narcissistic. There's also the public school education because, um, you know, I, I, I expect these traits apply to quite a few people who are publicly school educated because they are taught that they are better than everybody else, aren't they? Yeah, and he, he and, and he was sent away, I think. I think I'm right in saying he was sent away to prep school. And you know, I think entitlement is, is really interesting because in itself there's nothing wrong with entitlement. So I don't know if... if if I've got a car parking spot here at, at the car park next to here and I pay for, you know, spot number 27, that's my spot and I'm entitled to park there. But it doesn't mean I'm entitled to park anywhere I want or um, to believe that I'm special because I'm paying for my car parking spot. And, you know, there's there's a book by um, uh, Dr. Romani, Devasula, and she writes a lot about narcissism. And the title of the book is Do You Know Who I Am? And I think that's that's just, that's that's actually made it, you don't know who I am, clearly. Yeah, <laughs> given, given you didn't remember Did you me yesterday me? on air. No, but, I sadly didn't. Um, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Off. Yep. Is there not a difference between, you're talking arrogance here and Ooh. narcissism? And that, narcissism, I would have thought, was worse than arrogance. I think arrogance is is part of what makes me narcissistic. You think the two go hand in hand? Absolutely. And what about egotism? I, I could have a healthy ego, which means I have a sense of self-esteem, I have self-worth. Um, but when I believe that it's not just that I pay to have my car parking spot, but I can park wherever I want, because you know who I am? I'm the guy from the radio. That's when it's starting to become... <laughs> he does know you. That's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just thinking about um, the car park where I park. You get these, like, massive SUVs sprawled across two spaces and they don't care. No, I'm entitled to because I have a rich, fancy car. Mm. And then there's this... That's when we're talking oh. about entitlement and and I'm not really interested in anybody else. It's all about me. No, I don't know if that's narcissistic. I think that's just being a bit arrogant. I mean, you could say the French are all narcissistic then. Well, like we did say at the, at the beginning that we've all got a touch of narcissism in our personalities. Yeah, and, and if... If I'm someone who is arrogant, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a narcissist. It doesn't mean that I'm going to use other people. It doesn't mean I'm controlling. So you might look at someone, and this is why it's quite difficult to diagnose. And you might look at someone and say, actually, 
Fred is, you know, um, I like going out for Fred. He's a bit arrogant or she's a bit arrogant. Um, doesn't necessarily make them a narcissist. But when you put together the cluster of all the other aspects and the way they might use people and the way that actually underneath all narcissism is a pathological insecurity. Yeah, and because is that not the superiority absolutely. complex? Then it covers up an inferiority complex. Absolutely. I don't want you to know how fragile my ego is. So you need to feel quite sorry for them. Yes, but it's really difficult to feel sorry for someone because the behaviours are so devastating. So it's very hard. So I don't know, let's let's. I was going to pick a politician, an American politician, but let's. I, I won't because um, I shouldn't be political. Well, it, Donald Trump. <laughs> <clears throat> so it's Rob mentioned. I didn't. So <laughs> it's really hard to feel sorry for someone who, again, I'm not not making any comment here that's political. But someone who is causing so much havoc and chaos in their lives and other people's lives, it is hard to feel sorry for them. Well, and they also have a maddening, uh, uh, quite a, a ability to charm, don't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. I mean, look at, I mean, Boris is charming. I thought you were going to say me for a minute. <laughs> I mean, but, or even if you're talking about it more, you in a relationship with somebody who is a narcissist, it's, you often get, the, the charm covers up maybe... The problems that are there. Absolutely the, right. They are charming. Sorry. No, well, you're not I, I, charming. I, no, no, no. Pr I'm Prince Charming. <laughs> uh, I've, I've never found uh, Boris Johnson charming. It's just something in his eyes that always really made me very suspicious of him, even right from the word go. So I, I, but can you see that there's an element to him which is, even if it's not charming, there is something that he arguably is charismatic. Um, so whether it's the, the sort of the buffoonery or whether it's around the sort of whatever he was doing when he was mayor. What was he doing with the, the, the tightrope walking? Trying um, to build a bridge which uh, cost the taxpayer £40 million and never got constructed. Well, that's more political rather than personality. <laughs> but when you look at him, so there's something there which is, oh, come on, like me. I'm, I'm just this, this slightly buffoon, funny sort of chap. Look at me, like me. There's this absolute need, and that's something else about, you know, Boris Johnson. He desperately wants to be liked. Mm -hmm. And so once you start to peel that away or a narcissist starts to get found out, they will fight back. They will double down. They will wear you out because there is something underneath that they have spent a lifetime not wanting to be in touch with. Well, we, we saw that in the House of Commons the other day. I mean, he was supposed to be answering questions about Partygate and then just deflected it all to the, 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 be, the best uh, vaccine programme in the world and accused Keir Starmer of all sorts of things which weren't true in the first place and, uh, and just wasn't anything to do with the subjects he was being questioned about. Absolutely. So now you get into some of the things that, that narcissists will do to not get found out. They will project onto you. Usually what they're projecting onto you, oh, it's it's your fault, Rob, it's your fault, Sarah, you're the one who did. When they project, they're usually projecting parts of themselves that they don't like. So I make you the bad person. It can't be me. Um, lots of narcissists are very paranoid. So if you're in a relationship with a narcissist, they will spend a lot of the time thinking you're having an affair. Are, um, they, are they not the cheaters in a relationship? Yes, the narcissist is more likely to, to cheat than... Yeah, but I'm entitled to do that. Yeah, but they've got a low self-esteem. That's why they're doing it. Absolutely. So you have to feel sorry for them. No. 
Because well, they don't feel sorry for you, so give them. Well, they for. always feel bored, apparently, as well, don't they? Isn't there a high... They they love they. Lo- You've done your research. Do you see how condescending that sounded? What does that say about me? Um, so yes, they... experience. I think <laughs> not research. <laughs> Going through your black book of all the yeah. men. All the men. <laughs> oh, I say. Oh, I say. <laughs> you know more than I, I just, do. I've just dug a hole. So there's yes, they will cheat because they believe they're entitled to cheat. You certainly can't, but there's a paranoia that you that you might be. So there's jealousy. They are prone to rages. They are hypersensitive. Um, so you cannot criticize them. So therefore, there comes this. You can see the hypocrisy. One rule for me different rule for you. I'm okay because I'm special, I'm superior, and I'm allowed to do these things. And I um, cannot be found out. And if I am, I will make it about you. Here's another question. I will keep everyone anonymous. I mean, uh, some people are obviously uh, in a very sensitive uh, situation. So even if you have put your name, we won't read it out. Uh, This couple say, we think we have a relative with narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, thing to have because one is not experts on this difficult field because of quite aggressive demands of money to finance his lifestyle which is not appropriate with his income we had to quit the relationship with him i tried to talk to him about it but no way we feel helpless about the situation he has two young children living with him and his wife will this personality disorder be transmitted to the children we're worried about them and feel helpless once more so I think what was interesting to me, two or three things there. Number one, they quit the relationship. And that's one of the best things, if possible. It's not always easy because it could be in the workplace where I might be married and I might have kids. And however, they quit the relationship. And sometimes that's all you can do um, because the narcissists are looking for narcissistic supply. They will suck you in. Um they, there was that obsession with money. Again, being obsessed with money doesn't make me a narcissist. But if the person is obsessed because they want to show off and it's all about the possessions, it's possible. And the key question at the end, will the children, we're worried about the children, it will have an impact on the children. And lots of narcissistic people have come from narcissistic families. However, it doesn't follow that because one or both my parents were narcissistic, that the child will be narcissistic. But there's a strong likelihood that it's going to have a negative impact on the kids, depending on how they're indulged, depending on what they learn about money. And if they believe that it's the entitlement and they're overindulged, then um, certainly it's going to have a profound negative effect. Narcissism is the subject for uh, Wellbeing Wednesday with Gavin Sharp uh, from Riviera Wellbeing. So you managed to get yourself in the What's On Guide as well. I did indeed. It's hardly any point coming in then, was it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Now, um, speaking to people who may be employed by a narcissist and work under them, which must be extremely tough. Yes, absolutely. In in the work context, it's very very difficult because there can be team members um, and there can be your your boss and I think um, part of the, the I think the challenge that we have today is that the way companies are set up is that we were talking before you know Sarah was talking about the kind of the charm that people who are charming and charismatic the reality is they do very well so these are the people who often get promoted 
So in the workplace, we do often find that there are lots of narcissists and, and, um, and so it's very difficult and there's not a lot that you can do about it. What I typically tell people in, in, in the workplace is to, uh, if it's someone, for example, in, in your team, you need to be able to raise this with your seniors. Um, but typically, do things like create a paper trail. Narcissists are very cunning, very manipulative. So they will kind of try to frame you. So I tell people, and I say this to, to people in relationships with narcissists, try not to be in a room alone with someone who's narcissistic. Because I've had this in the corporal, in, in the workplace, and you will leave a meeting and you think one thing, and they'll come away and tell everybody everything else. So in the workplace, it's very difficult. So we need to try and create a paper trail. We need to not have meetings alone. But the workplace, sadly, is full of people who are controlling and bullying, and they flourish. Thankfully, there are efforts to step that, to stamp that kind of thing out in the workplace, and the governments are working quite hard on it. You know, to to weed out these uh, these evil spirits, shall we call them? I think so, and it is good. Those efforts are good, but again, sometimes it's just very subtle because of the manipulation. So it's not always caught. And so, and if you're the person who, I'm going to say victim, um, if you're the person who's on the receiving end of a narcissist, part of the game is to make you doubt yourself. So, well, you know, and I see this a lot in, in, in clients who are in these unhealthy relationships. Well, maybe it's something I did wrong. You know, maybe I didn't actually um, hear them properly. So, yes, it's good that we're becoming more aware of things like bullying, but when it's a lot more subtle, it's very difficult to catch. Of course, if your boss is a narcissist, then that's a completely different ballgame. If he's running the whole company, you've got nowhere to hide, really, haven't you? Absolutely. And that's where it's not always that easy, because my immediate response is, you need to change companies. Um, or you need to try and raise this with someone else in the, um, the organisation. But easier said than done, because it's my boss, and maybe it's not that easy to find another job. Maybe I need this job. So um, it's about self-preservation, and it's about doing the best that you can by involving other people, by things like the paper trowel, but not that easy. Because I mean, if the boss does have a superior, you know, in a, in a large corporation somewhere else in the world, he can easily go, well, they've been trying to undermine me, you know, they don't listen to what I say, and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yes, so, and it mm. happens. Uh, that, well, we've got a question about that, actually. Uh, is it possible to be nice at work and prosper? My colleague got promoted at work, but he's full of <clears throat> BS. He took credit for my projects. He doesn't include me in important meetings, and yet he got the pay rise. Mm. In my review, I was told I should be more hungry like him. I'm disillusioned with it all. Do the bad guys always win? Well, it kind of goes to what we were talking about. And, and I think in the corporate world, a lot of the time, the bad guys do win. And so the, the disillusionment makes, you know, makes sense. Toxic leaders do really well in organizations. They do well in politics, in times of chaos and uncertainty. And I remember my time in the corporate world, and I worked with someone who was um, on my team and was very narcissistic, and his policy was to divide and conquer. You need to pit everyone against each other because when you create that level of insecurity, I, the narcissist, um, my position feels more stable and I feel more comfortable. So um, so I think we're talking about something which probably is much bigger than just the, the, the work context here, but I understand the disillusionment because, and that's, 
you know, one of the other reasons narcissists do well in the workplace is because they're charming to their clients, they'll bring in new business, and they can be charming to upper management, but behind closed doors, they'll be antagonistic and controlling. Well, the image of Vladimir Putin just came into my head because, uh, you know, what, what they'll try and do is, is change the rules to benefit themselves the most. So mm -hmm. there's no opposition and it makes them impregnable. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. I'm getting off lightly here. Are you're you? referring to men, aren't you? Oh, uh, we are at the moment, yeah. yes, yes. Can a woman be narcissistic? We've got to have a question about that. Oh, have you? Yeah. OK. Uh, and that's all it says, actually. Are uh, women also narcissists? It feels like we're referring mostly to men. Uh, please don't mention my ex-wife. <laughs> But does Gavin think that women can be narcissists too? <laughs> Come on, mention the ex-wife. Um, yes, women can be narcissists. As, as far as we know from the research we have, and research is tricky because um, it's not that easy having a pool of narcissists to, um, to work with. But yes, um, there are female narcissists. It shows up in a... What were you going about to say there? Well, did you say a pool of narcissists? <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> So we can get uh, female narcissists. It just shows up with a little bit less aggression and it can show a little bit more with the manipulation. They'll, they can use, they can freeze you out more. There's a lot more guilt. Um, and a lot of, um, and I am generalizing, but a lot of female narcissists won't necessarily use their colleagues and friends in the same way, but they'll use their children. So a lot of narcissistic mothers will want their children to be a reflection on them. So I need my child to give me maybe what I didn't have in childhood. So they want to kind of raise perfect children. Uh, but I, you know, I've worked with, uh, you know, a client who couldn't understand why she was brought into this friendship circle um, and was made to feel special. I want you to join my group and I think you're fantastic. And, and then was just suddenly dropped and was suddenly there was a kind of almost like a smear campaign going on about her. And I suspect that it sounded to me like the friend was narcissistic and had kind of just, you know, I'm, I'm done with this person. They've served their use. Yeah, interesting just thinking about political leaders who may or may not be narcissists, but are there any clinical tests to do to see if somebody is a narcissist? In which case, uh, before anyone enters Parliament, they should be given a narcissist test. <laughs> they would have no MPs. <laughs> yeah. I think that, yes, um, there is. And this goes back, you know, to your first question. I gave you a very long answer on what is a narcissist. So we, we have something called narcissistic personality disorder, and we think only about 5% of the population has it. And of that, I think it's like 75% are men. But why we therapists don't agree on it is because one of the um, necessities, one of the things that you have to have present for it to classify as a disorder is you have to be experiencing a certain amount of distress. And the reason that therapists like me don't buy into the, the, the classification of the disorder is most narcissists don't have any distress. I'm okay. I might be causing havoc around me. Um, you know, if I look at the definition for addiction, there's negative consequences. My life is falling apart. But very rarely does the life fall apart for a narcissist. They usually get away with it. Even if they have low self-esteem and even if it's out of an inferiority complex? Yeah, because they're going to... At no point are they suffering? Um, no, because they're not in touch. There is suffering, but the suffering, they're not going to be in touch with the suffering. So unless that narcissist hits rock bottom, 
and maybe they lose their job and their family and they're bankrupt or whatever that version of rock bottom is, possibly, possibly they will feel distress. But again, what's the narcissist going to say? It's not my fault. There's probably quite a few of them end up in jail because if they think they can get away with anything, then they're quite prone to breaking the law, I would imagine. And they will still be in jail saying, I was hard done by. Um, uh, you know, there's this kind of this paranoia of, you know, X, Y, Z, um, Z, when do I start saying Z? Um, X, Y, Z, uh, just became very American, has, you know, has framed me. It's not my fault. And so even in prison, you still might find the narcissist doesn't want to get in touch with that fragile ego, that low self, as you're talking about, Sarah, that low self-esteem and that that inferiority, because they spent a lifetime covering it up. Because if you ask a narcissist, you know, one of the most dangerous things you can do in therapy is pop the narcissist bubble, because then you're asking them to sit with probably the pain and the humiliation that they spent a lifetime avoiding. So are all narcissists not nice people? And how do you differentiate between somebody you just say is not a nice person or they're a narcissist? So what's the question? Are, can narcissists so Can be... you say, so far, the person, if they have narcissistic traits, mm -hmm. they come across as not being a very nice person. So where's the difference between saying that person isn't actually very nice and that person is a narcissist? Again, it's a spectrum, and I think it's also, it's also a judgment. Um, so I can have some narcissistic behaviors um and i may not be that harsh on the spectrum and then uh, or that sort of that far along the spectrum i just i'm a bit selfish i'm a bit grandiose but i can do some work in therapy um, and that's why i said there's the different categories if you think about the the more vulnerable narcissist um or some of the kind of the, the covert narcissists um they're not as um, extreme with the grandiosity or the entitlement. Um, so therefore they can be quite depressed and they can be anxious. Uh, but so they may, not every narcissist is going to come out in, in the grandiose superior way, but the majority tend to be. I'm sure you must remember the uh, the awful case of the grinder murderer, Stephen Pors, who murdered all those poor men in London. Mm -hmm. um, presumably he was a narcissist stroke psychopath. Based on, on the little I know about it, yes, because the, the, the psychopath doesn't have the conscience or the, or the morality and they will masquerade, masquerade behind this normal life. So on the outside, it looks like I'm normal and you know, maybe a bit socially awkward, but that's what makes them um, so dangerous because um, they don't really feel guilt over what they've done. Um, what role does social media have in, uh, in narcissism? I'm horrified by the stuff you read on Twitter. I stopped doing Twitter because I just couldn't stand... No, not not the people directing stuff against me. Well, no more than usual, you know. But, um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, people just say absolutely vile things because they're, they're, they're hiding behind a keyboard and think that nobody's going to find out who they are. So I think social media is 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 catnip for the narcissist because the social media gives me this platform to look at me, look at how wonderful I am. And I don't really want to look at the reality of my life, but go back to your narcissist mythology and the image. So what social media does is creates this image that I can hide behind and you don't have to see my, my diminished sense of self. 
And your question about, I guess, the kind of the trolls on things like Twitter, you know, that's the narcissist that there feels hard done by by life. Nobody really's got to see how great I am. There's this real sense of contempt. And there they are on the keyboard, just acting out the sense of contempt. But social media for sure has changed the world we inhabit. I think we are all more narcissistic as a result of social media. And, you know, the, the Digital Youth Project did a, a, um, a survey in, in, I can't remember the year, something like 2009 or 2010, asking the youth, I think it was 16 to 14 year olds, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I forget the exact percentage, but a large number said, I either want to be a reality TV star or a YouTuber. That's, you know, people aren't saying, I want to be a fireman or I want to be a DJ on Riviera Radio. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. What? No money in any of those jobs, is <laughs> But what they are saying is, I, 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 I want to be famous. For what? Anything. I just want to be famous. Yeah, yeah. A couple of questions, because uh, we're running a bit short of time. Uh, I just heard you talking about narcissism. I worry my 13-year-old son is narcissistic. His world is totally focused on him. He showed little interest in his siblings or anything other than his world. Can a teenager be a narcissist already? What does Gavin think? I think I wouldn't worry about whether your child is going to grow up to be narcissistic, because by definition the world revolves around us when we're kids. So I would not, and I'm not a child psychologist, but I would not diagnose a child as being narcissistic because the point of being young is it's all about me. So I think, again, and I don't know enough about the 13-year-old um, child here, so I think it's about maybe some healthy parenting and we all have to teach kids that, you know, you can't be selfish, you can't always watch your favourite programme when you want it, and all that stuff that healthy parenting um, is required for healthy parenting. But I wouldn't get overly stressed because, um, you know, you're not going to see signs of narcissism until someone's well into their adulthood. Go to your room and don't come out until you can be nice. And that's that's one way of healthy parenting. No, I was talking to you. Oh, I see. Sorry. <laughs> Sarah, help. Uh, well, no, I, well, no, I was just going to say on that, well, I think it's probably just teenage, as you say, teenage behaviour can be quite self-centred and and difficult um, but if they say that it starts in childhood for example you were saying earlier on that you can look back at people's childhood you mm -hmm. gave Boris Johnson as, a, as an example uh, so is it more things that happen in your childhood that create that lead to it rather than looking diagnosing as you say does it start can it start in childhood although, although it can't be diagnosed at childhood Yes, I think it's a really great way of, of, of framing the question. I think it's, it is because of things that, that happen in childhood. I mean, there's an element, like with all these things, we don't know for sure there's an element of DNA, so there's an element right. of genetics. But if you think about the child who is, um, going back to your question earlier, who's overindulged, or the child who is taught to, you only get praise when you achieve something. I see this a lot, particularly with my male clients, that when I was good at sports, I got attention from dad. When I excelled, um, then that's when it's this kind of conditional love. And I think we often talk about narcissism as being a, a narcissistic injury. Something happens in childhood where there is either a a humiliation, there's a blow to my self-esteem, 
I might have felt powerless, which is why I want power when I grow up. Um, maybe I was very neglected. My parents were so focused on themselves and I was really only useful when I served a purpose. These are all signs of narcissistic parenting. And when that person gets to adulthood, they are possibly going to show narcissistic behaviors. Uh, another question. This is sounding eerie, eerily familiar, Gavin. So what can someone do if they're in a narcissistic relationship? Uh, I suggested couples counselling, but my partner told me I was the one with the problem. I'm mm. sure I have my baggage, but what is the solution? Is there one? It's such a tough question, and there isn't an easy solution other than, ultimately either radical acceptance, I accept that this is the state of play and this is the person I'm in a relationship with, or, and I appreciate it's not always possible, um, I have to leave the relationship. Um, and the person who is in the relationship with a narcissist um, should um, come to therapy to work on, um, and I'm not pathologizing the person, but to work on their self-esteem because um, again, I was talking about Dr. Romani earlier, and she says two things keep us in a relationship with a narcissist, fear and hope. Um, fear that I can't leave because I'll never find anyone, I won't have any money, and, and I'm not worth anything, and hope that, oh, I think I can change them. I think I can change him. And broadly speaking, the answer is no, you can't. Um, and I know that's quite depressing, but narcissists will find people who are caring, who are rescuers, who are empathetic, and they will draw them in. And by that very nature, if that's my personality, I want to keep rescuing. I want to keep helping, surely, but he's, there are some good qualities and they just get stuck in it. So the solution is, you know, name it, talk to your friends, work on your self-esteem. Um, you know, I run a I run a women's group. I run an online women's group, which we meet once a week. Can I come? I'm afraid not. Right? <laughs> you can join the men's group. It's full at the moment. But the purpose of the group is to help people have their reality validated. And I'm not saying that all the women who come to the group are in relationships with narcissists. But sometimes they just are sharing that, wow, it's not about me. It's not about my self-esteem because... It's happening for you. And he's saying the same things that my husband or my partner saying to me. And so join a group, do something where you realize you're not crazy. You're in a relationship with a narcissist. You don't mean the bangles or the, uh, the Spice Girls then when you said you run a women's group. <laughs> okay. Well, living in Monaco, you never know. That's you have to have true. an it group as well, don't you? A what? An it group, women, men. It. You have to have all the different pronouns. Non, for a group. Non-gender non yes. specific. Ah. That's yes. a topic for another day, yes. but I don't. Yes. I, I do have it's a very it's a very good observation. But I do have my men's group and my women's group. Yeah, right. So uh, conclusions, uh, please, Gavin. So, you know, as as always, you know, it's a very difficult topic, and I think that what a narcissist will do if you're in a relationship at work, in a friendship, in a romantic relationship, they will leave you utterly depleted. They will leave you with self doubt with this feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. And just try and reflect as you've listened to the show, if there's anything, because this last listener said that's eerily familiar, please seek help. There's literature, um, there's free resources, but do something 
where you can begin to find your real sense of self because you're banging your head against a wall if you think you're going to change the narcissist. It's highly unlikely. What are we doing next month? I have no idea. What are we doing? <laughs> Don't look at me. Or I'm exhausted. I was thinking about doing conflict in relationships. How do we manage conflict? We've spoken a bit in the past about healthy relationships, but something that keeps coming up because it's why couples come to therapy is we we don't know how to, we keep arguing. And as a therapist, what I often say is arguing is fine, but you just need to find a healthier, more constructive way of arguing. So I thought maybe we'll do something about relationships and how to have healthy arguments. Have we done anything about money yet? Have we done that? We did early yes, on. Yes, we did. We did early on. Mm. Um, Was I not here when you did yeah, that? Yeah, no, you were here. Oh. Yeah. Did you see how he remembers my shows? <laughs> What's happened to my ego? But, you know, some of these topics, I think we're going to come back and revisit them because we're trying in, in a short space of time to do them as much justice as possible. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to come back to them because there's so much more that, you know, I, I leave the studio sometimes thinking we didn't cover this and we didn't mm. cover that. So I think we'll come back to money, I'm sure, at some point. Right, so today's uh, programme will be available on uh, the Riviera Wellbeing website a little later on, rivierawellbeing.com. It'll also be part of the podcast of the Riviera Radio Breakfast Show, uh, which you can find on our uh, website, rivieraradio.mc. Gavin, thank you. Thank you both. See you next month. Look forward to it. Next today, more about me. On FM and DAB Plus across the Côte d'Azur, on your phone and worldwide online. This is Riviera Radio, with the latest local news for the south of France. Sarah Lyson has the top stories across the Riviera. From today, wearing a mask outdoors, teleworking and limitations on the number of people at public gatherings are no longer mandatory in France. The move comes as part of an easing of Covid restrictions. Both teleworking and wearing a mask outdoors are still recommended when possible, especially wearing a mask in crowded situations. In Monaco, no changes to restrictions have yet been announced and wearing a mask outdoors for the time being remains mandatory and teleworking is still in place until March the 4th. On Tuesday, the Principality identified 143 new cases of Covid and announced the death of a 92-year-old resident who had tested positive for Covid. Since the beginning of the pandemic, 8,502 residents have been affected and 48 have died. The government has expressed its deepest condolences to the families and loved ones of the deceased, assuring their full support at this painful time. 83 people are currently hospitalised in Monaco and 310 are being followed by the Home Monitoring Centre. Meanwhile, the latest figures for the Altmara team have shown that the health situation is stabilising in the region, despite an increase in the number of hospitalisations. In a statement published on Tuesday, the regional health agency evokes that the circulation seems to be stabilising, with the incident rate beginning to decline. On the 1st of February, 337 patients were hospitalised in the Altmara team due to COVID, and hospital mortality remains very high, with 56 deaths recorded in one week. Uh, since the beginning of the epidemic, COVID has caused 2,568 deaths, including 492 in nursing homes in the Outmaritime region. As restrictions are lifted today, French President Emmanuel Macron will meet with cabinet ministers. Government ministers are set to discuss the state of the COVID epidemic, as one leading emergency doctor warns that the epidemic is not over. In other news this morning, in its annual report on poor housing in France, the Abbé Pierre Foundation has warned of a future crisis. 
In what is being described as a bitter assessment of Emmanuel Macron's term in office, figures from the association show that there are currently 300,000 people living in emergency accommodation, as the number of homeless people has exploded in France. This figure has reportedly doubled in the last 10 years and tripled in just the last year. Poverty and COVID unfortunately go hand in hand. According to figures from the Abbey Pierre Foundation, at least 300,000 men, women and children do not have a home. Among them, 27,000 would be homeless, 180,000 in general accommodation and 100,000 accommodated in the National System of Reception of Asylum Seekers. Government figures released this week have shown a sharp increase in the number of drug seizures in 2021, with a record level of cocaine being seized in France. Customs seized a total of 115 tonnes of narcotics last year. Cannabis remains the most seized drug by customs, with more than 74 tonnes. Uh, that's up 24% year on year. In 2021, Customs tightened its controls on e-commerce to uncover previously poorly understood drug trafficking rings. Workers have started taking down the National Theatre of Nice with the removal of a monumental artwork in the forecourt of the Mammoth last night as Nicky de Sanfael's Loch Ness Monster was removed by Crane. The demolition of the site is expected to begin soon. Finally, Atmos Sud has warned of a particularly high pollen count in the Provence Alpes Côte d'Azur region. The warning came in a press release on Tuesday, which warned that the risk of allergy was at its highest level and is expected to remain that way for several weeks. Riviera Radio, Sports News. American football, the legendary quarterback Tom Brady has announced that he's to retire from the sports at the age of 44. Brady has won seven Super Bowl titles and broken every quarterback record in the book during a career spanning 22 seasons. He says he can no longer make the competitive commitment to the sports and that it's time to call it a day. He won six Super Bowl titles with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before switching to the New England Patriots, where he added a seventh. His final game in the NFL came in a narrow defeat to the Los Angeles Rams, where his mastery just failed to pull off a sensational comeback. They call him the GOAT. Do they? Why do they call him the GOAT? G-O-A-T. Yeah. G-O-A-T, <laughs> greatest of all time. Oh, OK, I didn't know that. A name quite often given to Lewis Hamilton as well. Oh, OK. Football, two games in the English Championship last night. Millwall and Preston drew 0-0 and Swansea lost 1-0 at home to Luton Town. In the Scottish Premiership, Dundee and Dundee United drew 0-0. Hibs and Hearts drew 0-0. Livingston lost 2-1 at home to St Johnston. Ross County and Aberdeen drew 1-0. And St Mirren and St Motherwell drew... Uh, St Motherwell and St Mirren and Motherwell drew 1-0. Here's more football from BBC Sports. BBC Premier League update from the home of Premier League football. Hello, I'm Andy Bowell at the BBC Sports Centre. The Manchester United footballer Mason Greenwood has been further arrested on suspicion of sexual assault and making threats to kill. The 20-year-old was arrested on suspicion of rape and assault on Sunday. Greater Manchester Police say that they've been granted more time to question him, having previously been given an extension on Monday. United have said that Greenwood will not play for them until further notice and all merchandise related to him has been removed from the Old Trafford Club store. The BBC sports editor is Dan Rowan. Manchester United have just issued a statement of their own saying that it reiterates its strong condemnation of violence of any kind 
and they say that as previously communicated Mason Greenwood will neither train or play for the club. His sponsor Nike yesterday also said that they were suspending their relationship with him. Greenwood has worked his way up at the club from the academy. He made his debut in 2019. He's become a key member of the first team squad. He is yet to respond to these allegations. Arsenal announced that striker Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has left the club by mutual consent, but there's still no news on his expected move to Barcelona. Aubameyang was Arsenal's captain for the past two and a half seasons. The fullback Jao Cancelo has signed a new contract with Manchester City, extending his stay at the Etihad Stadium until 2027. His deal had been due to expire in 2025. The Portugal international, who joined them from Juventus in 2019, has made 106 appearances for the club, winning three major trophies in that time. And the Premier League say that 80% of their players have now received two doses of COVID-19 vaccines, up from 68% in October. The figure is above the national vaccination rate for the most relevant comparable age group in England. For more football news on the BBC, go to bbc.com football. BBC Premier League update from the home of Premier League football. Finally, Rugby Union, Courtney Laws and Johnny Hill have been ruled out of England's Six Nations opener against Scotland on Saturday. Laws has failed to recover from concussion and Hill has a foot injury. Prop Joe Marler returned to training on Tuesday after recovering from coronavirus. Are you going to be watching the Calcutta Cup on Saturday afternoon? Um, if I have time, I will. Yeah. No, no, I'm not. I'm going to Santa Bay. Oh, get your priorities right. <laughs> Sorry, you know. no, I'm not here. <laughs> yeah, fine. Surely they'll be showing it somewhere down there. Here's the marine weather forecast for coastal areas up to 20 miles offshore the Outmaritime and the VAR. The general situation is a ridge of high pressure, 1,030 to 1,035 millibars stationary over southwestern France. Now, winds are variable, force 2 to 4, picking up to force 4 to 6. The sea is slight, becoming moderate. Visibility is good. Barometric pressure at Saint Jean Cap Ferrat, 1,015 millibars. And the outlook for Thursday, partially cloudy, force 2 to 4 variable winds, slight seas, and good visibility. For North Corsica, winds are southwesterly, force 5 to 6, locally force 7. The sea is moderate to rough, visibility is good. Barometric pressure at Cap Corse, 1,014 millibars. And the outlook for Thursday, partially cloudy, force 3 to 5, southwesterly winds, slight to moderate seas, and good visibility. The Press Review is brought to you by BMW Cote d'Azur. Hey, what? <laughs> it's the weather forecast. What's happening? Oh, my God. Right, we'll do the weather forecast with this anyway. Sorry, press of you. Your turn will come later on as well. Uh, clear skies with a strong mistral uh, developing across the VAR. Gusts of up to 75 kilometres an hour. Top temperature 16 degrees in the Almaritim, up to 19 degrees in the VAR. Overnight lows 9 to 12 degrees on the coast, 3 to 5 degrees inland with partially cloudy skies. Thursday and Friday, mainly fine. Highs of 13 to 17 degrees. You don't get a weather forecast like that in the papers. <laughs> The Press Review, brought to you by BMW, Mies Premium Motors, Bayern Avenue Cannes, BMW Store Monaco, and JPV Fréjus. Boost your business with the electrified range by BMW. Find all the BMW business drive offers at your car dealer. I'll have to rearrange the schedule now. <laughs> Finally, you talk and I'll do that. 
People who have relocated to the UK from Australia, South Africa and mainland Europe have shared their observations in a Reddit thread uh, with their biggest culture shocks that they've experienced on arrival in an eye-opening online thread. Uh, They revealed how they were impressed by the quality of beer and public transport and pleasantly surprised by the lack of rain. Others noted that the greeting... You all right? Left them confused, while some were baffled by how narrow the roads were, and dozens praised the NHS. One thread read that in the US, asking someone if they're all right implies that they look like they're not okay. You're right. An Australian who has lived in the UK for 14 years added that he was surprised by how much Brits hate Britain and talk it down. A huge number of the respondents to the thread mentioned their shock at the drinking culture in the UK. One wrote, I've been here seven years from a small town in Canada. I used to visit big cities like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, but what surprised me the most was working in London and the drinking culture. Nearly everyone I worked with had a company credit card and at 10 would invite me down the pub for some breakfast and a pint. At lunch, it was a restaurant and a few pints. At 3pm, everyone wrapped up their work and hit the pub again. Uh, he said this was for three companies that he worked for. Uh, many users noted the drinking culture in the UK, with one mentioning that back in his home country of Australia, where he believed they could handle their alcohol, the average Brit puts the average Aussie to shame in terms of how much alcohol they can consume. So 10 o'clock in the morning, a bit of breakfast <laughs> and a pint. Well, that since there's been weather spoons, isn't it? Well, I blame weather spoons for yeah, a lot of things. Yeah, I think, yes. Not just the drinking, yes. actually, but... <laughs> <laughs> I've never been in one. Haven't you? No. A bit like a McDonald's in Hampstead High Street. Do you remember when they said, I think I trod in one once? Yeah, the only <laughs> uh, only weather spoons I've spent any time in is the moon underwater in Watford. Now, why on earth would you go to the moon underwater in Watford? Because I had a friend who lived in Watford. Oh, right, OK. And I uh, went there a few times, actually. It was quite nice. I had a bit of beer garden out the back. I mean, you can't knock the prices and the food. So what okay. is it? It's just cheap and cheerful? It's cheap and cheerful. OK. Yeah. It's just, well, anyway, I won't go any further with that. <laughs> uh, you're up to date. The news is on the website, rivieradio.mc. 17 minutes to 8. Send the business news with Barclays after Richard Ashcroft and Liam Gallagher. Inexpensive. What, Liam Gallagher? <laughs> <laughs>